Welcome to the NBDA podcast, interviews with industry leaders and subject experts from across the business development world. Join us as we talk about real-world experiences, challenges, and opportunities that can take your career to the next level. The NBDA podcast is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Discover more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, Dave Spray. Welcome to the official podcast of the National Business Development Association. My name is David Spray, and today we're talking with Bob Charlet, the publisher of the Houston Business Journal. Bob has a long history in the media business, and we had a great conversation about why the 44 business journals in the U.S. are thriving despite a market decline in the traditional media business. His servant approach to business development why nearly half of the 1 million annual readers of the HBJ are not located in Texas. And then finally, we talk about the advice that he would give to his own 25-year-old self if he could go back in time. This is a great episode, whether you are a Houstonian who is active in the Houston business community, or whether you're one of the 50% of the readers who are not in Texas, but still have a connection or interest in what is going on in the Houston business community. This is a great episode. Bob's a really interesting guy. I know you'll enjoy it. Let's get to the show. Hi, Bob. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Dave. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's great to have you here today. Well, let's get started. So you are the fearless leader of the Houston Business Journal here in Houston. Yes. Yeah. And I believe that the HBJ is celebrating a significant milestone this year. Is that right? You are correct. We are a big 50 years old this year, which in the media world is a big deal. And, you know, we're uh, about 44 business journals around the United States, and HBJ is one of the oldest. And, you know, I've been in this business for going on 35 years, and as I'm sure you're aware, the media biz is in, you know, especially traditional media is in pretty significant decline and kind of has been for, I don't know, 25 years, almost when, you know, the internet sort of came to be. But, you know, we've, we've not, as I like to say, we haven't just survived, we've thrived. And the, the best proof I have of that is in, uh, 2020, you know, the pandemic year, we actually, as a company, broke the record for the most paid subscribers in our in our company's history, which is, you know, a, a pretty significant record when you consider, you know, we still charge a premium for our product and it's still valued and people still seek it out and you know we're we're still growing and I'm very proud of that. That is awesome. And so what? why is it that while the media business as a whole has declined over the last couple decades, that the business journals, and I assume the other uh, 43 have similar trends as yes. HBJ, yes. why have they thrived? Is it because we're just now in a specialized world and that if you don't have a niche, you're you're going to disappear? Or is it more than that? You know, Dave, that is a big component to it without question. And, you know, 25 years ago, there weren't a lot of sources of information. You know, pre-internet, you know, it was newspaper, it was, you know, network television, radio, 
you know, those are kind of the choices. And, mm-hmm. you know, when the Internet came around, you know, it, it essentially rendered a lot of that general information somewhat, you know, marginalized in that you could get it quicker, you could get it free, you could get it at any time of day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, suddenly the commodity of general information was not something people were willing to pay for. And then that sort of set a trend in what you just very accurately depicted of specialty information, which is kind of all the business journals have ever been. We're business information. That's it. That's all we do. And I think, you know, that combined with about maybe 12 years ago, we made a decision as a company that we were going to be a digital first entity, meaning for the previous 40 years, you know, we broke our news in our weekly newspaper. And, mm-hmm. you know, anything that happened between Fridays was going to wait until we published a paper on a Friday. Well, we made a decision. Our reader, you know, business information moves quickly, as you're very aware. And, you know, we were already launching newsletters and they were growing pretty significantly and they were essentially headline based and we were doing them twice a day, which, by the way, we've never changed. We still do it today exactly the same way. One comes out in the morning, one comes out in the afternoon. And that changed our world because, well, one, it meant we were no longer holding news. As soon as there was information, we were publishing it. And that started a trend that really, in my opinion, changed the scale and scope of who we are, what we were to our reader, and we've never looked back. Still to this day, we've got about 70,000 daily subscribers to those newsletters, and that drives probably 50% of our web traffic. And, you know, it's a formula we don't really mess with, and you know, that digital first, I just think it elevated the value of our information to our reader, made it very accessible to them, obviously very timely. We do it twice a day. And I think, too, part of our success is also based on, you know, historically, you know, you had a local relationship with your daily newspaper, right? There was mm-hmm. a I always say, you know, I got my start at a newspaper in New Orleans, you know, almost 35 years ago, and any candidate for any office was going to come and visit with that newspaper publisher because, you know, the endorsement of a newspaper, that could be the difference of getting elected or not. And Mm -hmm. that's because people had a very local, you know, relationship with that local medium. Today, I'd make the case that doesn't really exist anymore because, you know, there's information everywhere. But HBJ, because we've been here now 50 years, we still benefit. You know, it's it's regular for me that I'm out and about and someone says, hey, Bob, I just want you to know I've been reading HBJ for 40 years. And, you know, I think that's the other thing that we have as part of our success formula is we're local and we're perceived local and I think where that matters, you know, people are busy. They're not going to go to a dozen different, you know, local business information sites. So if if we meet the criteria that they trust us, they believe the information we're giving them 
is important. They're not going to find it anywhere else. I think we still have sort of the first right of refusal for their readership. And that's something that has been, you know, I would I would make the case an, an equally important factor for our success is we just have still that local loyalty factor built into our readership. And that's not something we take for granted. I think, you know, we talk about it often internally that, you know, we have it now, but we have to keep working hard to retain it. But between the specialty aspect evolution of media, the fact that we're hyper-local and have been here with a loyal, very loyal readership base for 50 years, that that's kind of the secret to our success. Yeah, I... And I can speak personally to the HBJ because when I graduated from the University of Texas with an accounting degree in 1987 and went to work for Arthur Anderson here in Houston, they had some deal with the Wall Street Journal where you could subscribe for a very low rate for the first year, you know, as a new professional. And and I remember when I came out of school, every office you would be in always had a Wall Street Journal. Sometimes you would see the Houston Chronicle there. And I don't really recall seeing the HBJ there that much. I'm, I'm sure it was around, but you know, I just didn't notice it. But I fast forward to today, and it feels like in a Houston business office today, you're more likely to see a copy of the HBJ than the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. And I think that says a lot about that that importance of the local information, because in a quick scanning of the most recent HBJ, you're able to have an intelligent conversation with another Houston business person, you know, being aware of, you know, some of the general things that have happened in the last week. Sure. You know, the, it, it's an interesting evolution because today our readers, and we have just under 1 million monthly readers, which people normally don't realize we have that many people who read us, but they the readership falls into three buckets. And just since you mentioned kind of Wall Street Journal, I just thought I'd share that. So the three buckets are the print paper, which is still mm-hmm. going strong at 50 years old. It's the daily newsletters. And then it's the website. And you know, the the readership sort of breaks down 30%, 30%, 30%. Kind of 30% only read the paper, 30% only read the newsletters, and 30% only go to the website. And then everything else is kind of a mixture of that. Hmm. And, you know, the the newsletters are sort of the quick hit. They're headline driven. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can scan that newsletter literally in 30 seconds to see if there are headlines in there that you know appeal to you and you can click and go on your way the website will tend to be more research driven people that you know they want to look up a person or company that we've written about they want some archive information and then the paper is obviously the deeper dive the, the sit back the lean in is kind of how we like to refer to it where you want to know more. You want depth of a story or, or a topic. And then, of course, the paper still has some proprietary uh, information categories. You know, we do legals in there. We do a, a deep dive cover story. We have our reporter hubs. Believe it or not, legal information like notices, bankruptcies, and that sort of thing, 
that's where all business journals started, you know, 70 years ago. And still to this day, we still run legal notices and we have a very strong readership. It's funny, there's been a few times that, I, and I, this is my 13th year with this company as a business journal president. There's been two or three times for whatever reason we couldn't publish our legal notices. And my phone started ringing immediately. Really? People saying, hey, you know, what happened to those legal notices? But, you know, the other piece that I, has evolved for HBJ is, you know, as you're well aware, Houston's one of the largest economies in the world. And, you know, we are either the number one or number two red business journal out of all 44 of our business journals. And part of that is because it's Houston. And, you know, whether that's energy information, you know, real estate information, I'm a data person, and I look at our analytics literally every day. Of our million readers, only half of those are in Houston. The other half are major cities all over the United States. So it's L.A., wow. New York. Oh, yeah. I would yeah. have never guessed that. That yeah. is fascinating. Well, you know, again, we're we're the conduit to Houston, right? So the reason there's, you know, 30,000 page views coming out of Los Angeles is you know, that's a company who either is doing business in Houston and they're following Houston to know and be able to make informed decisions. Or, as I'm sure you've seen the trend over the last, say, year and a half, two years, they want to get to Houston and they're trying to figure out their entry strategy. But, you know, Houston, well, Texas in general is so business friendly that, you know, we're followed by business entities all over the country because Texas and Houston is very important to them, to their business. So, you know, and I mean, throw in there with the energy capital of the world. So, you know, you've got folks that are just following energy companies, following energy markets, wanting intel there. And, you know, Houston is just one of the largest economies in the world. So, you know, we're we're followed by a, a wide variety of business folks, and and yeah, that's been part of our success as well. Is we're no longer just a local, and I'd make the case we're we're much bigger than regional as well, because it's 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 borderline half of our readership is not even in Texas. That is really that uh, is really interesting. I appreciate you sharing that. In, in speaking of, of evolution and becoming more or less regional, I understand the HBJ recently launched a new brand, uh, Houston Inno. Is that right? Yes. Yes, sir. So yes. what's that all about? When did you know, when was that started? What's the purpose? What's it do? I appreciate that question. You know, just as a quick little background, maybe 10 years ago, there was an innovation product that was part of our Boston Business Journal. And, you know, Boston okay. sort of being the, you know, Silicon Valley of the sort of Northeast. Mm -hmm. And it was a standalone product that over time became Inno. And then Inno, think of it as a franchise name, was sort of adopted by six or eight of our business journals. It's actually been in our Austin market for about eight years. And over the last several years, as I know you're aware, Houston has really put itself on the map for 
innovation and, you know, the mayor's talked about it, GHP has talked about it, that this has really become one of our pillars, certainly for growth in the future. This is how we're going to attract new, you know, tech talent to Houston. This is how we're going to diversify our workforce and, and, you know, give more and more companies reason to come and locate here. So, you know, we made a decision maybe a year ago that we were going to bring the Inno franchise to Houston. And, you know, it took a year, honestly, we'll toss in a pandemic in the middle of that. But, sure. you know, we just wanted to make sure that we were also going to have partners like the ION, like, you know, major corporate Accenture is a, is a sponsor mm-hmm. that saw what we were doing, wanted to be a part of it, wanted to support it. Like everything HBJ, we want the community, the business community to feel like they're involved. And, you know, that took a year. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sort of apologizing for that. We wanted to do it right. And mm-hmm. that just meant a lot of meetings, a lot of connecting. And then we wanted it clear to our readership that, you know, we wanted this to be a standalone franchise under the HBJ umbrella. So that's what it is. It's a twice-weekly newsletter. It's a dedicated website. We have a dedicated reporter, and it targets a younger demographic. You know, the, the traditional business journal reader is me and you. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's guys and gals in their 50s as an average, you know, high net mm-hmm. worth, high income, very, you know, traditional business reader. And Inno by design was to target the innovation demographic, which is much younger. Mm. Although it is business centric, it's just, they want a very certain kind of information. They want it presented a certain way. It's much, much more interactive, less formal. But still, you know, it it was something that we felt like we needed a separate brand to be able to address that. And we launched maybe four months ago, and it's been fantastic. And, you know, I think it was as much about timing that – you know, Houston, you know, I don't know if you've uh, been able to visit the ION, but it's phenomenal. And I think it was important that they were involved in this project with us because they've sort of evolved as kind of the, you know, city of Houston innovation hub, if you will. And they're doing amazing things. And by the time that entire project is up and running. I mean, it's going to be a little city of innovation and it's very impressive and it has already attracted just some, you know, brands you you'd instantly recognize, but it's given a lot of companies a different reason to look at Houston and, you know, for the journal, it's it's also, you know, introducing our brand to a whole new you know, demographic of readers. And I think this is going to be a big part of our future going forward. There'll be a suite of events that goes with it. You know, Rice University has done just an unbelievable job with innovation. So, you know, I think Houston is poised to really harness the innovation front as a part of the city's DNA. And, you know, we just, we want to make sure we're a part of that, we're covering that, and we're introducing Houston to our 
you know, sort of tech audience. And by the way, now we will have an Inno franchise in every one of our business journal markets. Oh, wow. Houston will benefit, yeah, is, you know, by default, we will then be connected to all these other cities and their innovation, you know, kind of readership. Oh, interesting. Which, which just, you know, is even more benefit to Houston that now all these other cities can read Houston, you know, and understand and, you know, see what we have going on here. Thanks for asking that. It was a huge deal for HBJ to launch that. And I'm, I'm thrilled and super proud it's up and running. No, that's that's great. Thank you for for giving more more color to that. So I don't have any idea what a market president and publisher at the Houston Business Journal does. Do you spend all day long reviewing articles with a red pen, or is it is it more than that? <laughs> you know, no, honestly. You know, we're tethered to our parent company, and one of the resources they provide is a lot of editorial oversight. So while the HBJ newsroom originates here locally, probably 80% of our content You know, we're probably 400, maybe more than that, journalists around the country, and we're tapped into that network all day, every day. So I have an early crew that, I mean, they literally can be scanning what our journalists in any city are doing and pulling that off if they think that's something our local reader may want. So I don't really spend as much time, although I do have a degree in journalism, I I really don't spend as much time there. We're kind of a machine when it comes to cranking out content. I mean, I get involved if it's something that's more maybe controversial or, you know, they want an opinion on something. But I have an incredible group of folks and I empower them as it should be. And they do a phenomenal job. You know, my role is, number one, I run a company, right? So, you know, I always say we're we're a small business, but we have a we have a big voice. So first mm-hmm. and foremost, I'm I'm running a company and all the things that go along with that. You know, I'm in the community quite a bit. I spend a lot of time there. I'm on you know five or six boards. I am you know out and about all day every day. I just think that's part of this position is being in the community, being a part of the community. I know in the spirit of our conversation, I do a lot of business development. As a matter of fact, I would say that's probably at least 50% of my time right there. I spend a lot of time with clients. I spend a lot of time with our sales and marketing teams, working on initiatives and things. One thing people don't appreciate the, the scale of what we do is our events business in 2019, so pre-pandemic, we had 10,000 event attendees to about 35 events. There are times I feel like we're an event company that has a little media business on the side. In the in the pandemic year, we did north of 50 events. We had closer to 30,000 attendees, although they were entirely virtual. So I spend a lot of time on our events. And then just given Houston is a kind of a seat and be seen kind of a town, I also attend between our events and other events I attend in a year. That's got to be in the 60, 80 range. 
Oh wow, so that's a couple usually, a week. You're, you're usually I wake up and look at my phone and say, "What what event am I going to today?" But I really enjoy that part. So I mean, to sum up, I think I'm first and foremost I'm running a business. I'm of course engaged in our content. I'm engaged in our business development, engaged in the community. But I do spend a pretty significant amount of time on the business development side because I think also. You know, our clients, they, they like to have, you know, conversations and feedback. And we're fortunate we have a lot of very long-standing relationships. And, you know, I'm pretty directly involved in most of them. That's, that's great. Yeah, I appreciate that because I imagined the community development role that you would play or community involvement. Yep. But yep. I didn't really grasp how big the business development piece, and, and obviously you're not out there selling individual subscriptions. I mean, that's not your primary role. I, no. I grasp that it's really the relationship with the, your your advertisers and your event sponsors, I'm, I'm guessing yep. is what Correct. you really, yep. when you talk about business development, that's what you're talking about. Correct, yes. So I know our we're we don't have a lot more time, but I want to just ask you a, a question or two about business development. Sure. So how how would you describe how you build rapport and trust with uh, prospective clients who maybe have never advertised in the HBJ but are considering a uh, you know a multi month or multi year campaign? You know, as it relates to just sort of foundational approaches to business development, you know, I always have thought you you are a resource. You serve. You connect. You do good things for the community, for the business community, for people, and you do it with no sort of, you know, pre-thought of what you're going to expect to get in return. If you approach serving as a foundational approach to what you do, in my opinion, only good things will come from that. And yep. I think Houston is just one of those rare cities where, you know, like on the, I spend a lot of time with nonprofits. One, I just think the Business Journal should be supporting the nonprofits in the community. I spend a lot of time there. I'm on a lot of boards. But when you, when you're engaged, say with a nonprofit, everybody you meet in that environment, you meet from serving. You meet mm-hmm. because you have a, a, a common, you know, goal of serving. And it's a wonderful way not only to meet people, establish relationships, and I'd make the case as a sidebar, you know, each person you meet, you also then are connecting with their entire network. And, you know, I, I again, as an approach for business development, I just, if you approach it as serving, and wanting to be a resource, wanting to help people, want to connect people. I've just always felt like that, well, one, you can feel great about what you do every day and feel like there's purpose to what you're doing every day. And then two, inevitably, that's going to come back to you as some benefit at some point. But but you mentioned, you know, the trust thing to me is is vital. You know, you've got to be unselfish. You've got to truly just want to serve. Because I think if, if you have ulterior motives, 
people are going to kind of figure that out sooner or later. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. just to me, I don't, that would be a difficult, you know, kind of a way to approach things, you know, whereas I feel like when you just want genuinely to help people, it's a great feeling. And, you know, Absolutely. I think only good things come from that approach. And like I said, in Houston, are you kidding me? You know, it's endless. The, the the organizations here that you could join. I would say there, and this is, you know, lessons learned over a lot of years, you have to be selective. You know, I mm-hmm. would say while I absolutely wholeheartedly believe in serving and being in organizations, they have to be meaningful to you, you know? Sure. If you just go join an organization without kind of a real commitment to what they do or what they stand for, then it's a job and you're probably not going to enjoy it or find a lot of, you know, positive outcome. Whereas, you know, again, it's just been my experience. If you take the time to think about organizations and what they do and and join the ones that you really feel like they're doing something you align with, you feel like you would benefit, then, you know, the door swings open much wider to what that could end up being for you in your career. And I don't mean just like the local chamber. You know, I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that's not a good – I'm just saying time is valuable and – these organizations can be a lot of time. So take the time to research it, make sure it's something that you get excited about and you think the company, I mean, the organization is um, doing things that you really want to be a part of. And then I think great things come from that. That is great uh, advice. And I love your service first uh, mentality. Well, I have just one more question for you. And this is yeah. a bit of a curveball question, but it's a question I have, have borrowed from uh, the podcaster Tim Ferriss that I love. So if you could go back in time and give some advice to your 25-year-old self, what advice might you give yourself? What a great question. I guess for me, it was don't wait. Okay. I, you know, you look at, the let's millennial, I think is an overused term, but you know, younger folks, I think have a very different approach to say how long they would work at a company. And, you know, my generation, it was a badge of honor to say, I worked at that company for 35 years. Sure. Whereas today's generation would be more, why in the world would you work anywhere for 35 years? Right. So, you know, looking back, I think maybe I would have, you know, thought differently about, you know, when is it time to change? When is it time to move on? You know, hindsight, 2020, looking back, yeah, it seems like maybe a little less time in this particular role. So I guess the answer is, your gut is almost always talking to you, and it's usually a question of were you listening or right. you know, did you figure out ways to put that off? And I'm not a regretter. I don't think that way because I am a true believer that you're learning every day. And 
I love to read, you know, biographies and, you know, the thing you see in the most successful people, no matter how you're measuring success, they are almost always people who have failed. And right. then they succeeded because of their failure. And, the and for many from of the them, right. yeah, many of them failed many times. They just succeeded more times. So I don't believe in, in regretting. But to answer your question, maybe not waited as long to make decisions that I was thinking I knew I needed to be making. Okay. Well, I think that's great advice. Well, our guest today, Bob Charlet market president and publisher of the Houston Business Journal. You've been there about six years. And, yes, I really and I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast. Your insights have been really useful. And I know our listeners are really going to get a lot of value. So thank you so much for your time, Bob. Dave, thank you so much. It was great to spend time with you. Great questions. And um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, likewise. Well, you have a great day. Thanks so much, you too. And there we have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at podcast.nbda.co. And you can find out more about being a member of the National Business Development Association at nbda.co. That's it for this episode. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next time.